very good to see a lot of our sick folks back. We've had lots of sick folks lately. We still have a few, but it's getting close to February where we all start getting some immunity built up to all this stuff. And Nice to see some of you's back. Notice I didn't say nice to see all of you's back, just some of you. Week three tonight of our class, and um, I hope you can make it this evening. It's funny because this class we're doing, uh, it's a little tougher, a little bit more of the meat of word, the Word of God. Um, but funny enough, we're going to hear a little testimonial this evening from someone that at first was kind of like, ah, this stuff is hard to comprehend, hard to deal with, it's not really for me. We're going to hear a little testimonial that hopefully can serve to convince that this stuff is worth learning, at least, at least taking a few things away from it because it could come in very handy and when it comes to ministering to others and, and defending the faith. So hopefully you can be a part of that this evening. Um, work on your questions. Maybe this afternoon, if you haven't got to them this week, you should have week two questions. Try to do them the best you can. If you get them all wrong, that's okay. Just give it a chance. Look at, over the material, and we'll go over all that stuff tonight. So, um, good morning. Everyone here this morning with me? Awake? Sort of, kind of? Well, hopefully, hopefully we all understand what worship is. Um, I don't know if we do. Do you understand that God is the source of all goodness. Do you get that? And that's the point of worship is to get close to the very source of goodness. If a thing is wholesome and good, it's because it reflects some facet of God's nature. That's why a thing is good. So if you come to church and the worship starts, enter into that worship and what that means is you're stepping closer to God, the very source of joy and goodness and wholesomeness, and it will do things in your life. That, that is why we sing. It is not because God's up in heaven saying, hey, you people better worship me. You better sing nice songs. You better write nice songs about me. No, God is giving us an opportunity to draw close to the very source of something that is good. That's what worship is. And I'm not even preaching about that this morning. It's completely off topic. We'll get to the Word of God here now. Okay, but sometimes I wonder how much we actually understand what worship is. But that's what it is, to get close to God. I don't know if anyone else has been feeling this way, but I have. And I know we're not supposed to be just completely feeling-oriented people, but my heart has been feeling very heavy for our nation lately. Any, anyone else feel that way? The, there's a the heaviness that is laying over my soul as I look around at our nation in the state that it's in, the condition that it's in, and it's a feeling that I'm hard, having a hard time shrugging it off or, or getting rid of it or making it go away. Uh, it's just this feeling there, and, and I think it actually comes from the Lord, you know, and I think it's a reflection of how He feels, and it's a little piece of His heart you know, the, the more that I study the Word of God, and I do like to go over the Word of God, I do like to learn and, and even listen to other men that I feel are wiser than I am. And uh, as, I, as I learn it more and, and you glean more things out of the Bible, the heavier that, that feeling comes over me. Because when you read the Word of God, you're, what it is is you're, you're gaining a little bit of insight into how He feels about things, how He thinks about things. 
And the more of that you get, the more of that vision you get, the heavier you feel when you look around at the, the sinfulness and the wickedness that's going on in this nation. So I've had a heavy feeling, a heavy, heavy heart. Just, I don't know, it's been a while now. You know, I guess I can describe it that, well, we've had a lot of snow lately, haven't we? They say maybe more is coming later this week. It's just great. But all this snow, I'm sure someone in here, especially those of you with children or maybe grandchildren, someone in here has constructed a snowman. I saw a snowman in Pastor Joe's yard just the other day that he built with one of his grandkids. So someone's built snowmen over their times. I've built a lot of them when I was a young kid. Me and my buddies used to build snowmen. You know, when you want to build a snowman, you, you start with just a little ball of snow, right? You pack up this little ball and you start rolling it. And you kind of have to have the right kind of snow. You know, the real powdery stuff, not so great, but the thicker, wet, heavier stuff, that's great because it packs real good. You start with this little snowball and you just start rolling it more and more, adding more snow to it. And because of the qualities of snow and, you know, it's the way it compacts together, it starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then, then it gets so big that you're getting behind it trying to push it. And you ever remember as a kid trying to make a snowball that, well, no snowman that I've ever made has been a perfect circle. It always kind of gets lopsided after a while and it gets so big and you push it and it kind of falls on one of those lopsided square ends and then you have a hard time pushing it up over. It gets so big that you can't manage the big giant snowball anymore. You know, it becomes this big giant snow boulder. Well, when it was a snowball, it was manageable. You know, when it's a snowball, man, you can wad up a snowball and wing it at your buddy, and your buddy can wad up a snowball and wing it. A snowball's manageable. It's easy to manage. If someone throws one at you, you can dodge out of the way, or, or you can pick it up and you can slam it down and stomp it and watch it spray onto the concrete. It's manageable when it's a small snowball, but when it gets bigger, and bigger and bigger, it becomes harder and harder to manage, more difficult to manage. You know, I, I kind of equate the demise of our nation. It's kind of like a big snowball that started a while back, and it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And now it's kind of like rolling down a hill. And as it rolls, it's gaining more and more momentum, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And now it's gotten so big we can't manage it anymore. The, the problems that have manifested themselves in our nation, it's this big, giant, out-of-control snow boulder barreling down a hill where no one can get behind it and stop it. It crushes everything in its path, and it's built up this momentum. And, and that's what I see in our nation. It's almost like... This little snowball, well, let's just add a little bit of a sexual revolution to it. And the snow, snowball gets bigger and, and a little more hard to manage and difficult to manage. Well, let's just redefine what marriage is. Well, let's just redefine what gender is. And the snowball gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, let's just deviate from anything that God says. Let's just push this off to the side and, and we'll figure out what's best for us. And the snowball gets bigger and bigger and starts going faster and faster and faster. And then ultimately what you get is what we have going on in our nation today. A big giant ball careening out of control that's going to smash everything in its path. And sooner or later, it's going to hit something. It's going to smash into something. Or it's going to go so fast that the whole thing's just going to blow apart. And it's going to be a 
catastrophe. Brothers and sisters, do, do you understand that a nation cannot shake its fist at God and turn its back on God and then everything else end up just fine? Everything is good and prosperous and everyone's happy and there's peace. And it does not work that way. It does not work that way. This big giant snowball that's out of control, it's going to hit something. It's going to come apart. And the thing is, I think we all see it. If you just have a little bit of discernment for the word of God, a little bit of Christianity in you, you should be able to see this. If you have a biblical worldview, you should be saying, preacher man, you're right. I see this going on. in her. It's a big giant mess. Building speed, becoming faster and faster and faster. And it's all out of control now. We've been going downhill for a long time now. You know, I always look back. I'm not a history buff, but I do like to look back a little bit at history. And You know, you look at the 60s. And if I say 60s to you, pretty much all of us automatically think sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, that was that big revolution back then. And with that era kind of came the, the onset of the decline of the family unit. That's when we started seeing divorces skyrocket. That's when we started seeing the, the, the fatherless children. All, all that stuff started back then. You can look up the statistics all day long. They're there for you. Kids being raised with no fathers, the, the sexually transmitted diseases, all those STDs, all those statistics began to skyrocket in those 60s and late 60s with all that onset of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll movement. You know, since then, and you can argue when some of these things started, but we, we see in our nation, we saw a pretty big homosexual revolution. You know, we saw a lot of it in the 80s and really just becoming more bold. And then in the 90s, and really that movement today is still gaining lots of momentum. You know, I, I've preached a lot of this stuff to you before. It, it's all found in Romans chapter 1. It's a big blueprint found in Romans chapter 1. Maybe you can go home and check that out sometime. Very important chapter in the Bible. <clears throat> you know, since then, we have been, you know, we see these things going on in our nation, these revolutions, these movements, and, and everyone is like a step away from the Word of God. It's like we go like this. Then the further we, we go, move away from it, it's almost to the point like we're running away from the Word of God now. We've been distancing ourselves from anything that represents God at all. And then here we come to the year 2020. Everyone remembers 2020, right? It's like almost all this godlessness is beginning to, to come to fruition. Okay, in, in 2020, we, we pretty much saw the wheels come off of our economy and all kinds of nonsensical laws and, and, and unlogical rules coming and going into our nation uh, it, this snowball so big now, it's almost like you can't stop it. You know, I believe that even millions and millions of people that are not saved, millions of unchurched people, they see this too. I came across this um, earlier this week. It's from an unstaved source. I wanted to show this to you. Anyone see that, that third rock from the sun there, that one that's a clown? You see, that? that's where we live. Everyone, everyone see that clown there? It says earth underneath of it. That's where we live. We live on clown world there. The one that's a clown. Everyone see the clown, right? 
That's where we live. This is from an unsaved source. This is from unchurched people. They're saying, what in the world is going on? We're, we live in clown world now. You, you see, the clown, that's where we live. That, that's the place where we put men in women's sports and they dominate and we say, we're making progress, brothers and sisters. It's clown world. That third one, that's where we live. Clown world. That's where we say that masculinity is toxic. That where we say if you're a real man, it's toxic. But if that same man puts on a dress, we say he's courageous. Clown world. See the third one? That's where we live. The one with the clown. We think that that place with the clown, we think on that clown world, I got a good idea. Let's get rid of the police. We don't need police and everything will be good. It's clown world, brothers and sisters. Some, you would think some of this stuff that I'm saying to you is a joke, but it actually is the prevailing thought in this nation. Clown world, that third one, where, where follow the science. Has anyone noticed we've been following the science for, this is the third year we've been following the science, and this, this thing is still here? Follow the science doesn't mean let's look and see what science actually says. What it means is blindly obey irregardless of any statistical fact. That's what follow the science means, brothers and sisters. Clown world. That's where we live, right there, clown world. So here we are today, January of 2022. Isn't it also very sad, church? Isn't it sad? Well, we can chuckle a little bit at the, the graphic, but it's actually sad. It's very sad. To see if, if you know any of the history of the foundation of our nation, how we got here, what we stood for, the, the, the premise of our nation. It's, it's all ingrained in, even in our founding documents. I encourage you, go read some of our founding documents. You will see all of it is established on this. It's almost like they read this and then they said, okay, how can we create a nation that reflects the freedoms in this word? And here we are living in clown world. It's very sad to see the wickedness, the confusion, the division, the, the corruption, the deception. It's like it's unfolding. It's like it's unfurling itself in our nation. Can anyone else see the, the shadow that's just creeping across our land? You could almost even argue that it's crept completely across our land. You ever looked maybe in the summertime when the sun's nice and it's beaming and, you know, in the, in the noon it's, it's right above you and there's, there's no real shadows. But as the day moves on, the trees' shadows get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the, the, the sun goes behind your house and it casts a big shadow on your backyard and it gets bigger and bigger. And before you know it, darkness has engulfed the land because the shadows crept across all of it. That's, that's what I see when I look at our nation. The big shadow is, is, is overshadowed, any light in it. And it's just all becoming darkness. It's creeping over us. Can you feel, can you feel that as Christian people today? Can you feel God's broken heart over the state of our nation? Do you understand that, that God feels that too? He, he does. He feels a brokenness over the state of our nation you know, I've, I've prayed that a lot lately. I've, I've made my prayer, Lord, let me feel the way that you feel. Let me think some thoughts that you think, Lord. Let me feel your heart, Lord. What are you thinking? What, what do you have to say? What are your thoughts on this state of our union, Lord? You know, maybe that's why I'm preaching this, because I feel a heaviness. 
that's come over me. I believe lots of you see it. Lots of brothers and sisters all across this land see it. It's almost like no matter how much fun I have or I do, had a fun night the other night, got together with some friends, had a good time, but in the back of my mind, I still feel this, and I can't shake it. I can't make it go away because it's a shadow that's crept across our land. You know, sin, it has crippled and and ravaged our land. It's very hard to deal with, isn't it? It's very hard to watch. It's very hard to see it, it fall and stumble. And it's a nation that's down on its knees, gasping for breath. And it's, it's, it's very all very sad. You know, the thing is, it, it kind of puts all of us in a bit of a predicament. One of my prayers has always been, I've shared this to you before, you, you see the nation going out of control. You see all this going on all around you, the shadow creeping across the land. And I've, const- I've always told Lord, uh, Lord, don't forget that I still live here, Lord. Lord, I'm raising kids here. You see, when a nation falls into sin and lawlessness just like this, it puts all of us in a bit of a predicament because we live and we work here. Our families are here. Our church is here. It's, it's all around us. It's in front of us and it's behind us. It's inescapable. And that brings me to my point for today. You know, last week, I, I hope, you know, maybe if you weren't here, maybe you watched online. You know, you can watch uh, sermons on YouTube. You can watch them on Facebook. If you miss one, get caught back up on all that stuff. Last week, we actually looked at a little bit of history in the Bible. And hopefully you don't mind. We're going to stay there. Um, I've been reading through some of those historical books, and God just kind of speaks these little things to me. And there's such valuable things in the historical books of the Bible. But if you remember last week, we looked at some lineages of the kings of, of Israel. And we looked at, actually, we looked at Manasseh. Remember how evil he was and bad, and, and Josiah. Well, this week, we're actually going to rewind the clock a little bit, a couple centuries or so from that time, and look at a couple more historical events, some battles that happened and and their significance for today. You know, we have examples in the Word of God where people were in, where the people of God were in bad situations just like we are today. We're we're in a bad way here. Do you know that we're grossly outnumbered? There's, There's not 300 million Christians in America and we are the majority and we will make up all the rules and we have all the money and all the power. It ain't that way. The truth of the matter is that the Christians are greatly outnumbered. Greatly outnumbered and we're in a bit of a predicament because the enemy's behind us and in front of us, behind us. The shadow's creeping across the land and we're all starting to go, man, what, what's the future have for me and for my family? Well, You remember we talked about those lineage of kings. We talked about King Saul was that first one. And the the people of Israel said, we want a king. God said, you're not supposed to have a king. We want to be like other nations. not supposed to be like other nations. We don't care, God. Give us a king. He says, okay. You want a king? I'll give you a king. He gave him King Saul. Remember, King Saul made a big mess. He went to King David, King Solomon. Really, some of those guys had some good qualities, but really they make a mess out of things. King Solomon, we talked about. The construction of Solomon's temple. Remember, he ended up going downhill and with all the wives. Well, we're going to look at King Solomon's son briefly. His name was King Rehoboam. Okay? After King Solomon, his son Rehoboam takes over. Now, Rehoboam consulted 
with the elders. When he, he was young, he's just taking over. And King Rehoboam goes to the elders of the land. And he asks advice. You know, he was kind of a young, tender-hearted fella. Not much experience in being a king. And he goes to the elders and he says, how should I rule these people? And, and the elders give him advice. And they say, here's what we feel and believe that you should do. Do this. He says, okay. And he goes to the young men. And he says, hey, young guys, how do you guys think I should rule this nation? And they said, well, we think that you should do this, but we also think you ought to forget about what them old people says. Never mind what those old folks said. Well, Rehoboam, he listens to the young men. And he says, forget you old people. You don't have nothing valuable to add. So he institutes everything that the young men say to institute. Well, the result of that was, and we, we talked about this briefly last week, the nation of Israel divided into two because Rehoboam was dumb, didn't listen to the old folks who had been around a while, and he says, forget you old people, and he listens to the young. It makes everyone mad, and the nation splits in two. It splits into like a northern Israel, which the Bible most of the time just calls Israel, and then the southern one called Judah, which contains the city of David, Jerusalem. So, in the Bible, as you go through it, if you see that there's two different kings at the same time, you think, what in the world? What it means is one was a king of the north, one was king of the south, king of Israel and king of Judah. Okay? So here's this nation split in two. Now, Israel's divided now. Now, could we not make a pretty good case that the United States of America is divided? We're divided. Maybe not by borders because we don't have any borders. But we could say that we're divided by skin color. We could say we're divided by economic status. We could say we're divided by political affiliation. We're a very divided nation. We could say that we're divided by vaxxed or unvaxxed. We could say we're divided by mask or no mask. We're divided by all these little divisive things. We, we can all agree that we have division in our nation. And here Israel finds it is divided. North and south. Well, this King Rehoboam, he dies, and another king named Abijah, his son, takes over. And that's where we're going to pick up and look at some things that Israel went through. Remember, here they are divided. Let's see what happens to them. In 2 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 1, is where we'll start. Now, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, okay, real quick, Jeroboam was the king of the northern part of Israel. A bad, evil dude. Okay? So that's the king of Jeroboam, or his name's King Jeroboam. Now, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam began Abijah to reign over Judah. So you got Jeroboam in the northern part of Israel, and you got Abijah in the southern part, in, in Judah. Okay? And verse 2 says, And Abijah reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Mishaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. And there was a war between Abijah and Jeroboam. So north and south, they're going to fight. Same nation, but two different kingdoms within that nation, they're going to fight. Okay? Verse 3 says, And Abijah set the battle in array with an army of valiant men of war, even 400,000 chosen men. Jeroboam, that king of the north, the evil one, also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men, being mighty men of valor. Now, first of all, this, this Abijah is a good king. 
He, he's a good king. We, we can't read through all this stuff. It'll just take us too long. You can read through it on your own time. But I, I'll, I'll summarize most of it. Abijah is a good king. He actually wants Israel to be unified. Okay, so he's coming up against this Jeroboam, and, and he's saying, Jeroboam, you're, you're doing wicked things. You have no right to be a king at all because you're not any lineage of King David because that's who the, the covenant was through, and Abijah's wanting to unify Israel like it's supposed to be, one nation, okay? So I, I hope that you saw the odds too. Abijah, the good and the godly man, he's got 400,000. Jeroboam... The evil man, he's got 800,000, twice as many valiant men, okay? Now, this Jeroboam, he's evil. Remember last week we talked about how evil Manasseh was? Well, Jeroboam was pretty much the precursor to all this evil. If you read all through these historical books of the Bible, you'll see many, many times they'll refer back to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, just because of how evil he was. That's what it's making reference to how evil Jeroboam was. Evil, Baal worship. Remember last week we talked about images and groves? This Jeroboam is the one that constructed a lot of those things. He constructed them. Baal worship, wickedness. Actually, it says, with Jeroboam were the sons of Belial. Ever heard of the sons of Belial? You can maybe check that out someday. Adulterous people, idolaters, sons or or friends of devils. These are the wicked people. And Abijah saying, Jeroboam, you you got the sons of Belial with you. And and they were evil and wicked. You know, so here, here Abijah is trying to unify the nation, trying to do what's right. Trying to say, hey, wait a minute, we better go back to what the Word of God says. And he's only got 400,000 valiant men. Jeroboam, the evil guy, he's got twice as many, 800,000. It's the same old story that evil has the upper hand. Evil always seems to have the upper hand. Good is always the underdog. Wouldn't you agree with me that evil seems to have the upper hand even in this nation? In this nation, evil has the upper hand. Let's look at verse 4. 2 Chronicles 13 verse 4 says, And Abijah, remember this good and godly king, And Abijah stood up upon Mount Zemaraim, which is upon Ephraim, and he said, Hear me, thou Jeroboam, and all Israel. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over to Israel to David forever, even to him and his sons by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up, and he hath rebelled against the Lord. So Abijah, he's doing good. He's calling Jeroboam out. He said, hey, you're not even of this lineage. You have no right to be king. This needs to be unified again. And, and he's trying to honor God, honor the covenant that God made with, uh, with King David. And, and he's calling out the evil stuff that Jeroboam, he says, look, you got the sons of Belial with you. He even at one point he says, look, you got golden calves with you even right now. They had golden calves with them. These priests worshiping Baal and doing all this goofy stuff. Now remember, there's 400,000 staring down this 800,000. Well, as Abijah is trying to to preach this word and and, and confront Jeroboam, Jeroboam, this evil, wicked man who has no right to the throne, he says, he's saying to himself, keep talking, Abijah, because as he's talking, he's sending half of his army down around the mountain, around the backside to sneak up behind Abijah. Let's keep reading. 2 Chronicles 13, 13 says, But Jeroboam, you know, the wicked guy, 
caused an ambushment to come about behind them so so that they were before Judah, and the ambushment was behind them. And when Judah looked back, that's Abijah and his, his crew, and when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind, and they cried unto the Lord, and the priests sounded with the trumpets, The men of Judah gave a shout. As the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam in all Israel before Abijah in Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah and God delivered them into their hand. Do you you see what happened here? Abijah, he's trying to say, Jeroboam, I'm confronting you on these golden calves. Get them out of here. Get this Baal worship out of here. Let's unify again like we're supposed to be. You have no right. And as he's saying this, this evil king saying, keep right on talking. Hey, guys, go around back. And as soon as I say the word, we're going to slaughter these people. So really, you could argue that they they were statistically outnumbered two to one. Maybe there was 400,000 in front of them and 400,000 behind them. And they could just fall in on them and, and mutilate Abijah, and mutilate uh, Judah. But, but I want you to see what, what, what the people of God did. When they looked, it said, behold, they looked and it was before them and behind them. I want you to look at it. It doesn't say anything about, and they sat down and strategically devised a plan. And they consulted with the military strategists. It doesn't say any of that. It says they cried unto the Lord. They shouted with the trumpets, it said. You know, when it, when it says that, I, I wonder if that, does that mean they started worshiping the Lord? They blew them trumpets. They, they started worshiping. They, they cried unto God. They said, Lord, we're in a rough spot here. And they, they called out to God. They began to pray. They blew them trumpets. And God comes down and he miraculously helps them overcome the two to one odds. He helps them overcome. They were surrounded by a superior force. They were surrounded and outnumbered. They were ambushed. They were strategically outmatched. They were outwitted. But God, do you see that? But God, they cried out to the Lord. It doesn't say they needed to devise a plan or they fell because they didn't have a plan. It doesn't say Abijah wasn't good enough militarily. It just says they cried unto the Lord. They blew the trumpets they, they didn't try to outmaneuver Jeroboam. They didn't try anything that man had to offer. They just cried out to God. They blew the trumpets. They shouted to God. And as they did, the Lord smote a more powerful enemy. Do you see the lesson in that? Do you see how that's applicable to us, the Christian people, in a, a nation where we're surrounded? We are surrounded. Behold, they're before us and behind us. 2 Chronicles 13, 19. Listen, it says, And Abijah pursued after Jeroboam and took cities from him, Bethel with the towns thereof, and Jeshanah with the towns thereof, and Ephraim with the towns thereof. Neither did Jeroboam recover strength again in the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him and he died. Do, do you see the moral of this battle? You know, we, don't, we don't have to go very far to see, to ask God, what does this mean? Because the Bible actually tells us what the moral of this battle is. Listen, it's in verse 18. 2 Chronicles 13, 18 says, Thus, see, this is a, that's a, a summation word. Thus, the children of Israel were brought under at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed because they relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. 
That, that is what the Bible is trying to say to us. Hey, when the enemy is before you and when they're behind you, when you're outmatched, when you're outwitted, when they're much stronger, when they have more resources and more money and more power, they're in control of the media, in control of the school system, in control of academia, rely on me is what the Bible is saying. Rely on God. Brothers and sisters, they didn't need a special plan. They didn't need more resources. They didn't need to elect a new leader. Just rely on me, is what the word is saying. Rely on God. All they needed to do was rely on God. Turn to God and trust that he will make a way. All we need to do as as his people is rely on him. Rely on God. Now we're not done yet. Uh, Abijah, we're going to go on just a little bit more. Abijah dies. Oh, he was a good king, did good, but he dies, and another king, King Asia, takes over after him. King Asia was a good one, too. Okay, he's a good and a godly king, and he's one of them that comes in, and he starts getting rid of all these idols and all this this Baal worship. He starts tearing down the groves, tearing down the images, getting this golden calves, getting them out of the land. That's who King Asia is, and he, he... goes through, he actually comes to the people of God and charges them. You people better start obeying the word of God. You better start obeying the law of Moses. And he actually, sooner or later, ends up in a similar situation that Abijah and his army was in. Okay, he he gets put in an underdog situation. Okay, we all like a good underdog story. Second Chronicles chapter 14, verse 9. Okay, it says, and there came out against them Zerah, the Ethiopian, with an host of a thousand thousand. Anyone know how many a thousand thousands is? Million. There you go. We got some good mathematicians in here. And there came out against them Zerah, the Ethiopian, with a host of one million and also 300 chariots. Can't forget them 300 chariots. So one million men with 300 chariots. And they came to Marisha. Verse 10 says, And Asa went out against him. And they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephathah at Marisha. So Judah, again, is staring down two to one odds. If you, you keep reading in the Bible, it kind of tells the fact that uh, King Asa has maybe about 600,000 people. And he's staring down an army of one million with 300 chariots with them. So here they are, completely outmatched again, outstrategized. Militarily, they don't have the might to overcome this big of an army. They just don't. But let's look what Asa does. Second Chronicles chapter 14, 11. It says, And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it's nothing for you to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. You see, this is his heart's cry. He's saying, God, help us. Lord, I'm staring down an army that's way bigger. There's a million of them. And they also have some chariots to boot. Lord, they're bigger, way bigger than we are. And he cries out unto God. So he, again, we see Asa relying. We see the, the, the people of Judah relying on God. Listen, it says, in, in the Lord, verse 12, And the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa. And before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled, and Asa and the people that were with him pursued them unto Gerar. And the Ethiopians were overthrown, that they could not recover themselves. 
For they were destroyed before the Lord and before his host, and they carried away very much spoil. It actually took them a long time to take the spoil back home. They, they were not militarily stronger. They were not strategists. It was not Asa's plan. All they did was said, God, help us out. We're in a bad way here. Lord, look at all these people. They're going to come destroy us. Lord, we know that you can, Lord. And we believe that you can. And the Lord did it. He did it. Because he's God. You know, really, the, the, the moral of this battle is the same exact thing. Rely on God. Rely on God. He will make a way. Cry unto the Lord. Cry unto the Lord. Now, you know, when we, we see now that when God gets the glory, things go good. When he receives all the glory, it goes good. And you know, so far, we've seen the results of relying on God. You know, Abijah relied on God, blew the trumpets, it, it cried unto the Lord. He helped them. Here we have King Asia, a million people, much insurmountable odds. He cried unto the Lord. He relied on God. God made a way. God helped them. They overthrew those enemies. But we might be remiss if we didn't look at the other side of the coin. So in the face, listen church, in the face of a divided nation, rely on God. In the face of being greatly outnumbered, rely on God. In the face of shadows creeping across the land, rely on God. In the face of being ambushed, rely on God. Rely on God. But you know, the Bible doesn't just give us good examples. It gives us some bad examples of who not to be like, right? Both sides. The Bible will teach you what you need to know. It will. It will show you everything. It will show you what happens when you do rely on God and when you don't rely on God. So I think we'd be remiss if we didn't look at a quick example of when someone didn't rely on God. And the results, we've seen the results of relying on God. What happens when you don't rely on God? What happens when you rely on mankind? What happens when you rely on your your money? What happens when you rely on your 401k or, or your plan or your own intuition or wisdom? Let's check into that. Well, not too long later... In Asa's reign, a, a king named Basha from, from northern Israel. Remember, they're, they're still kind of divided into two. Well, this, this king from northern part of Israel, he, he lays siege to Judah, okay, and King Asia. Well, what a siege is, is it's, it's almost like they, they come and they, they find this city, and it might be a little much for them to just go in and wipe out. So what they do is they, they lay siege to it. They stop the flow of goods. No goods coming in, no goods coming out. No good water coming in, no water coming out. They, they stop all the commerce. They stop all the traffic flow. That's what they do. They, they lay siege to it. No one's getting in, no one's getting out. They can't get out and forage for food or check their crops or any of that stuff. So sooner or later, the people in that city, in Judah, they begin to, to starve and, and get weak and and they start losing their nerve and their mind and they're, they're malnourished and, and they become weak. And then you can go in and just overthrow them. There's actually other examples of that in the Bible. But that, that is what this king Bashan does. He comes to Judah, gets close to it, and lays siege to it. Blocks everything. Nothing coming in, nothing coming out. So things are starting to go bad. King Asa sees it and 
he devises a plan. Okay, he, he goes to an old ally named Ben-Hadad from Syria. Okay, and this is in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 2. I, I hope that you think that these historical books of the Bible are, are awesome and interesting. They, they are awesome. Do you understand? If you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 2. Okay, now imagine this siege that this King Basha is laying, and nothing's getting in, nothing's getting out. Pressure is beginning to mount. Asia's starting to worry. You know, his kingdom's going to fall. Judah's going to be destroyed. People are going to be wiped out. He's going to lose stuff. And what's he do? He devises a plan. He springs into action. Second Chronicles 16, verse 2 says, Then Asia brought out silver and gold out of the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house, and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, that dwelt in Damascus, saying, There is a league between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent thee silver and gold. Go, break thy league with Basha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. So, so that's what, that was Asia's plan. He says, hey guys, get a whole bunch of gold, get a whole bunch of silver, take it to Ben-Hadad. Maybe this alliance will stand. And this Ben-Hadad was kind of a formidable uh, kingdom as well and he says hey break your league with Basha and if if you do that that'll unnerve that king Basha and he, he'll back off and problem solved and you know the the truth of the matter is it works it, it does work sort of okay sort of it, it does cause that king Basha he kind of sees that the league is broken between him and Ben-Hadad and Syria and he he kind of says eh. I don't like this situation anymore. And he abandons the siege. Okay, he, he backs out. He leaves. Problem solved, right? Well, sort of. Sort of. That was, I want to be clear, that was Asia's plan. Not God's. Asia's plan. D do you know that whenever you have man's plan putting patches on something. That, that's all that it really is. It's, it's a patch on a leak that sprung up here that might fix this one, but darn it, another leak just sprung up over there. And sooner or later, the mankind with his plan puts a patch here, and then another leak springs up over there. And, you know, that's what our government does. Do you understand? They, they put, try to patch something here. Something brings, they patch something there. Before you know it, there, there's too many. You, you can't fix them all. And that's, that's what you get with man's plans. That's the best you get is, yeah, you, you might sort of fix something here, but in fixing that, you done screwed something up over there. That's man's plan. That, that's the best that man has to offer. Well, a prophet comes along to King Asa, and Asa's thinking, sweet, my plan worked. I'm pretty smart after all. I'm, a, I'm pretty good at this military being a king type stuff. Well, this prophet comes to Asa and says this in chapter 16, verse 7. It says, And at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asia, king of Judah, and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thy hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a great host with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because thou did rely on the Lord, he delivered them into your hands. 
Verse 9 says, For behold, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. Herein, King Asia, thou hast done foolishly. Therefore, from henceforth, thou shalt have wars. Do you, do you see the result that he got this time when he sprang his action or his plan into action? It, it doesn't say anywhere. When, when King Basia come up against him, it doesn't say anywhere he relied on God. It doesn't say anywhere he cried unto God. It doesn't say anywhere he blew the trumpets. He sought out a prophet. It doesn't say any of that stuff. He enacts his plan. His plan. And, and yes, it sort of solves a problem over here. But the, the prophet of God comes and says, Asa, you, you might have solved that one little problem over here, but you created a big one over here. Because it says now... Further on down the road, you're going to have all kinds of wars. There's going to be all kinds of fighting. God would have delivered them. I, I like how, how the, the prophet even points back historically. He says, don't you remember when that million-man army came up against you? What would you do? You relied on God. You called on God. And he delivered you. Here this king Bashan came up against you. You didn't rely on God. You relied on your own intellect, your own thoughts. You didn't seek God's heart or his mind. And now he says, from henceforth, you'll have wars. You know, in other words, God would have gave him Syria. God would have gave him King Basia, all of it. But nope, he was content with just putting that little patch on the problem. And yet other ones sprung up all over elsewhere. You know, it's kind of funny that all these people escaped. The, the prophet says, man, you, you could have had all these people. You could have got all of them. But now they're escaped. And it says, henceforth, thou hast unfortunately, you'll have wars now. You know what's funny is if you keep reading ahead in the Bible, you'll see pretty shortly after that, a King Ahab comes on the scene. If any of you Bible thumpers out there know who King Ahab is and his wife Jezebel, if any of you know them, they create a lot of problems. They, they kill a lot of good godly people. And the, the, that is the historical context. That's what happens when you're content with sticking a patch here with mankind's way of fixing things. Well, you're going to have lots of problems down the road. Whereas if you were to just, for this problem right here facing you, rely on God. He would not only fix that one, but he'll avoid all those future problems. That's the difference between man's fixing things and God's fixing things. If I could have the band make their way back. That's enough history for today. But brothers and sisters, can you see the different results that King Asa got? Do you see the different results? He relied on God once and he didn't rely on God once. And you see the different results that he got. How many times, and I'm not, I'm not making fun of any political candidate or anything, but how many times have we heard, elect me and I'll enact my plan? Or I got a plan to fix all this. Or if you just subscribe to my plan, we can make all this better. We, we hear that all the time, all the time. Elect me and I'll fix this mess. Brothers and sisters, they're, they're all just people with plans. They, they might be well-intentioned. They might be. I, I don't know. I, I can't figure some of these people out. They might mean to do good. I'm sure there's some politicians somewhere that mean to do good. They hope to try and fix something. But at the end of the day, it's a man or a woman with a plan. It might be their best, but they're just a person. They put their pants on just like I do, one leg at a time, just like you do. It's just man. It's just a temporary patch. 
it's going to create lots of problems down the road. I, 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 the people of God, us, the people in this nation, the Christians in this nation, we have to start saying, God, what, what's your plan? What, what, would, what do you have to say about this? What's your way of fixing this mess? You know, whenever we settle for man's plan, we are settling for less than the best. It's a, it's a compromise. It's a compromise type deal. That's, that's what we see going on in our nation every day. Even when they genuinely are trying to fix problems, they're compromises. Well, we can fix this, but then it creates a problem. You know how it all works. You all see it every day. Even if it's a good plan, it's just man's efforts. It's just man's efforts. You ever get to turn on the news? And like I said, I'm not, I'm not overly political. Really, I'm not. I, I vote and try to do my best according to what the Bible, that, that's my conviction, is the Word of God. That's how I vote. But you, you watch, it's kind of funny when they ask some of these people, hey, what are we going to do about this problem? You can tell they have no clue. They have no clue what to do with some of these problems that our nation is facing. Absolutely no clue. Now, they say a lot of words, but at the end of their words, you're like, yeah, why don't you just be honest and say, we don't know. It's too big. It's a big snowball rolling out of control. We don't know what to do. You know, God knows what to do. God does. You know, all these plans and stuff, they're not bad. If you have plans for your life, that's not evil. It's not wicked. But I'm saying, ultimately, what's God's plan? What, what does God want? Cry unto the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we must choose to rely on God. We have to rely on God. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards them. That doesn't mean you're a perfect person. He's looking for someone that's perfect. No, he's looking for someone that's saying, God, what, what, Lord? What, what, what can we do? Lord, we're in a bad way. The enemy's behind us and in front of us. They're all around. The shadows has crept across the land. Sin has ravaged us and the nation has fallen. It's gasping for breath, Lord God. We no longer want man's plan. We reject man's plan. What is your plan, God? We don't want to settle for a compromise. We don't want to patch it so that we can survive for another year or two. What is your plan, God? Brothers and sisters, make that your prayer, God. What do you want? Cry unto the Lord because his eyes are searching. You understand, Lord, the Lord's eyes are roving over the whole earth looking for someone that's crying out to God, saying, God, what's your heart? What's your thoughts, Lord God? What's what's God's eyes going to see if he sweeps them across New Hope Church? Will he see a, a body of believers down on their knees crying unto him? Will he see a body of believers relying on him? Or will he see people that are saying, I got a plan. I got a plan to fix this. I got a plan for me and my family. I got a plan that will will navigate my family so that we'll be okay in the future. I got a plan that we can escape this mess. I got a plan to, to... the, the next big stock that I can become rich or I got a plan to get this bunker or this shelter they're just man's plans they're man's plans brothers and sisters rely on God he's looking for people to rely on him he's looking for a people that will rely on him can we stand this morning